Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Change Starts Here Research Conversations. I'm Jennifer Chevalier, and I'm here with Kim Yaris and Eve Miller. As you may remember, in our previous episodes of this season, we shared that we, like many of you, have been thinking a lot about academic achievement and what can be done to reverse the downward trends schools have been seeing in recent years. Yeah, so in the first episode, we talk about executive function and its role in academic achievement and the overlap between those skills and future readiness. And then in our second episode, we got into just how pervasive these executive functions are and, you know, how, you know, they sometimes when we start talking about these things, we're like, oh, I want to do that. But it feels like <laughs> just one more thing. Um, and so um, now here we are uh, ready to talk about our next topic. <laughs> That's right. And we are very excited about this next next topic. Um and it is the first competency that we're leading out with. And why this one is so important, we're talking about self-awareness, is it's foundational to every other competency we're going to be talking about in this season. And today we're going to focus on the role it plays specifically in executive functioning and academic achievement, but it is foundational to so many other aspects of our growth um, so there's so many places we could go with it, but we're really targeting in on academics and executive functioning today. Um, and so to do this, uh, I was thinking that it might be fun to play a little thought experiment, kind of like a little game. Would y'all be up for that? Oh, a game. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're a mad scientist, so you never know what we're getting into, Kim. <laughs> um, so, Okay. I was thinking about self-awareness and like what we could compare it to. So if I can have you imagine um, that when we get done with this podcast, you have the task of going and writing a summary about it, okay? Just like three to five sentences, you're going to go sit down at your computer and just write out a summary of what we talked about here today, okay? All right, pretty easy. Simple, simple enough, right? Yeah. But there's one issue. Uh, so for you, Kim, you're going to be sitting in front of the computer and your keyboard's going to work, but your monitor is not going to work. Mm. So imagine trying to write and you cannot see what you're writing. How accurately do you think you'd be able to assess the quality of what you're writing when you're yeah. writing a piece? Well, I'd like to think I'm that good a typist and that, <laughs> that good a thinker. However, I think that I might be kind of mortified when I'm actually able to see my screen again. I think that I would probably have made a lot of typos. Um, and I think it might be a little bit frustrating, too. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And, but you wouldn't know, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Not until afterwards. Not right, until no, and fair enough. I think I get off my keys like by one, like once or twice a day, and I'm like, oh my goodness, ASJK. <laughs> uh, okay, now Jennifer. Yes. Now you are going to be able to see your monitor. Awesome. Welcome. You're welcome. But when you write, you, there's going to be kind of a delay, kind of this unnecessary delay. So you're not going to be really clear on what you're actually writing at that time because it's not going to actually accurately reflect what you are typing um 
How do you think that would impact your ability to assess your overall writing quality? So I've had this happen before where like I put the S on the end of the word and I look up and it's not there and I hit it again and I keep going and then suddenly there are like two or three S's <laughs> going. Um, I would be really irritated by that. I do not yeah. like unnecessary delays and yeah. it would cause mistakes. Not that I wouldn't already be making mistakes, but definitely my accuracy and quality would not be there. Yes. Yeah. No, same. <laughs> Um, and I've actually had that issue with my computer now is my keyboard's been busted and it just like sticks and stuff. So, um, thank you for playing along y'all. So okay. what this, what this represents this kind of thought experiment and for listeners at, um, uh, wherever you're listening from, if you're imagining this with us, like that monitor or the inaccurate monitor we can compare it to self-awareness or a lack of self-awareness. And it can kind of give us a sense of this, what role it plays in our ability to assess our world. So when we are aware of feeling a strong emotion, but we don't really understand why, or if we know that we're feeling something, but we don't know what it is, like the more accurately we are able to say, I'm feeling angry because of this, or I, I am thinking this, or I need to spend more time working on that because self-awareness is so, it is our monitor of ourselves and how we interact with the world. Um, we just, we might be feeling something, but we can't see it well enough to understand why when we have these busted monitors. All right. So hearing what you just described, I can see that self-awareness is really important, Eve. Um, and I actually came across some research. Did you know that we generally think we are more self-aware than we actually are? Mm -hmm. There was a researcher and psychologist <laughs> named Tasha Yurik who reported in the Harvard Business Review um, from her 2018 study that 95% of the respondents indicated that they had a high level of self-awareness when mm. in actuality, only 15% of them did. Oh, okay. wow. I read that study too. And all throughout it, I kept questioning myself. I'm like, all right, how accurate am I? Um, and interestingly, we put out a poll prior to this podcast on social media, asking people to rate their social media, uh, social media, their self-awareness um, on a scale of one to five. And uh, the people that participated, 64% of them rated themselves in the middle. Um, whereas 9% thought they were completely self uh, unaware and 9% thought they were completely self-aware. So our crowd is kind of riding somewhere in the middle. And I'm just thinking to myself, I probably would have put a three also. Right. Yeah, and that little right. slip you made, Kim, really cracked me up because honestly, on social media, a lot of people do lack self-awareness with what they say. <laughs> so when you transpose those words, it was kind of funny and correct. Exactly. <laughs> what I think is so interesting about this statistic that you shared, Jennifer, and, well, and of uh, you know, what you found there, Kim, um, but to, more to what you found, I mean, also guilty. Like mm -hmm. when you shared them, like, I know that I would have rated myself as highly self-aware, mm -hmm. but when I think about it all the times when I'm like, how do, how am I perceived? What am I feeling right now? <laughs> like, why didn't I question, you know, 
and think through like how to schedule my time. And it really helps us to get at like, it is so essential to, and this gap between how important it is and how few of us have actually really developed like this strong self-awareness really matters because it is the foundation of our ability to know things like, well, for students, for example, like they can know how much time they need to put into studying for a test. Mm -hmm. So kind of that like metacognitive piece of self-awareness, or they might know that they are off track and the teacher's been sharing instructions and their mind's been wandering. That's a part of self-awareness, right? It's our thoughts, our emotions. It's like the, a lot of the labels that we put on ourselves and like how we think others think about us and how accurately we do all those things. So if we're inaccurately thinking about how we fit into the world and with others or inaccurately understanding our emotions, that can have big consequences on our academics and on our life. So uh, there's a lot of this that's really goal-driven and really important. So that gap is concerning. So I think it's so great that we're talking about this and the role it plays. Well, you talking about this is just bringing me right back to my experience as a former middle school English language arts teacher, right? Yeah. And I am remembering this one moment in particular when I had um, one of my sixth grade boys come into the classroom and he was just coming from science class, I think it was, and he had not done well on a test. And I said to him, oh, I'm sorry. Um, why do you think that happened? And his first response was, I don't think the teacher likes me. And I said, do you think it could be anything else? Um, and then he kind of thought about it for a moment and he's like, I don't know, maybe, I guess I, I don't always pay attention in the class. Mm. Um, and so he, we were just having this, this conversation um, about it. And I, I'm just kind of identifying that now as a moment of, I don't know, maybe practicing or building self-awareness. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. That example, it reminds me of actually the same researcher that you, Jennifer, cited earlier, that uh, Yurik from uh, Harvard, uh, some of her research, her lab's research around uh, self-awareness. What they have found is the people who are really self-aware do something differently to develop the self-awareness. So there you were like trying to help your student grow his self-awareness in that moment of like, why might you be feeling this way? And that's a common thing I think a lot of us think is like, why am I feeling so upset right now? Why didn't I get that done in time? But what they found is that people who are really high in self-awareness, the questions they ask start with what more than why. So what was I doing instead of studying? Or what could I do? Or what caused me to feel this way? So it's just kind of an interesting way of expanding out instead of contracting, which is what why does it really kind of is an ineffective way of taking on a strategy while what kind of expands out the possibilities. I thought that was fascinating. It, so it is. And it's making me think to myself, oh, I wish I could go back in time. Right. I think yeah. with this information, I could do this so much better. Oh, yeah. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, so just kind of replaying that situation yeah. in my right. head, 
the question what. So that same student comes into the classroom and I, in he's like, oh, I didn't do very well on that test. And instead of me saying, well, why do you think that happened? I could say, right. what happened? Yeah. Or what are you going to do next time to do better? Or what are you gonna do right now? Um, you know, what, what does this create for you? I mean, I have a whole like list of what questions that I could ask in potentially my mind that I could see having very different outcomes. Yeah. Like it would help him to be focused on the future and yeah. what he could actually do to be different going forward. Right, right. And it's something that he can take control over. Well, why, as you were saying that, I felt like there's almost like a negative energy tied to it, like a negative emotion rather mm -hmm. that's tied to those words at times, right? Like, um, well, what, it really does open us up. And as you said, like it's more future focused, it's action oriented. And I agree with you. I wish, you know, research, this is why I love research. Like the things I, I learned, I go, well, I didn't know that then. That would be helpful, but I know it now. So how can I apply it? I think that's, yeah, really powerful. Do the best that you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. Thank you, Maya Angelou. That's right. That's right. I think of that quote almost every day. Self-compassion <laughs> practice to say that. So I'm hearing you guys say that we can build um, students' self-awareness and help them yeah. be more reflective and monitor their behavior to develop that self-awareness. But we also said at the beginning of this episode that self-awareness is critical to academics and academic yeah. performance. So how does this connect to helping students improve academically? I love that question. I love that question because Right. We can get into these big ideas. Right. And what I think of is what we ultimately want, what we know works best for students and their learning is when they can be empowered with that learning, when they can have the choice and voice. Right. Like that can feel like this high in the sky when we're having to make sure that certain things are done um, and criteria are met and protocols are met. But really, the more that we can turn the learning over to them by engaging them in self-reflection, it not only builds their self-awareness, but it also gives them the opportunity to see the what. And, and you as a teacher, you as the administrator, don't have to guide every one of their what's. They start to learn how to dissect their own actions and choose better ones when needed or to understand what situations they work better under, what emotions might come up for them. So it's a pathway. And I think of it almost like there's co-regulation, right? As a, as a student or a, a child is learning to control their emotions, but there's also like this co-self-awareness where you're helping them, giving them the building blocks. And I think reflection is so key. Like, offering them practices that allow them to reflect in ways that are empowering to them, that are actionable, like the what questions. Hmm. So I could see how adults modeling this for students would be another great way to help them develop their own self-awareness. And so from like a school or district leadership perspective, I'm thinking about times that I helped colleagues process a conversation with 
a parent, for example, that didn't go too well. I think I'm sure we can all cite times um, when we had a conversation that didn't go as expected and kind of mm-hmm. ended up a little messy. Mm-hmm. And my inclination was always to say, like, why? Why do you think that didn't go well? Why do you think sure. it, you know, resulted the way, in what it did? Um, but this conversation is helping me realize that even as we work with adults, we could be framing everything with what questions to empower them um, and give them new insights so that they can act differently moving forward. So instead of the why, more of like, um, well, here's the situation now. Like, what can you do now to start, you know, bridging this communication failure and like restoring that relationship and the communication instead mm-hmm. of the focusing on like what caused it, focusing on what to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my takeaway, you know, as I'm thinking about this is that that shift from why to what one, it's really simple, but two, it's just so powerful in what it brings to um, building that executive function, that foundation that kids need in order to get those better results that they're looking for um, in terms of academics. Yeah. yeah, I can see how it lays the foundation for those executive functions like metacognition and self-reflection, goal-directed persistence, all of those skills that students need to succeed in school and in life, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is so great. And we will certainly will link that um, Harvard Business Review article um, in the show notes. So be sure to check that out if you want to learn more about this. And sadly, ladies... We are at time. Once again, it's always too soon. <laughs> so thank you um, for this great conversation together. And thank you listeners for joining us. Um, and please come back again in two weeks when we will be taking on the competency initiative. So, and how it really helps students with executive functioning and academic achievement in schools. So thank you so much. Awesome. Bye everybody. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential. Mm-hmm.